listening to PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome to Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. This is your host, Tim Link, and I'm so glad you're joining us today. My guest today is award-winning multi-book author, Alan Anderson, and Alan's going to be uh, talking to us about his recently released book, A Dog Named Leaf, The Hero from Heaven Who Saved My Life. So we uh, interested to learn more about the book, learn more about Leaf, and also uh, find out what other things Alan's got up his sleeve, as he always is active in helping the animals. So we're going to have a good time. Everybody sit back, uh, listen, and relax, and we'll come right back into these commercial breaks. You're listening to uh, Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. Sit. Stay. We'll be right back after a short pause. Well, four to be exact. Pet Life Radio has tail wagging, fur flying, fabulous deals for our listeners from Petco. Get $6 off your order of $60 or more and up to 40% off the entire Petco site. That's right. But that's not all. Because you're a Pet Life Radio listener, you'll also get free shipping on your order of $49 or more. $6 off, up to 40% off, and free shipping from Pet Life Radio and Petco. To get these awesome deals, go to PetcoDeals.com. That's PetcoDeals.com. Petco, where the pets go. I'm not much of a reader, but I do wish I were more well-read. There are so many great books coming out. I wish I could find a way to keep up. Audible.com makes it easy to stay well-informed and catch up on your reading simply by listening. Audiobooks from Audible turn downtime into uptime. You'll be more productive and become well-read. Now I'm able to catch up on all the great books I've been wanting to read. With Audible, I feel smarter. Pet Life Radio listeners, try Audible.com now and get your first 30 days of Audible Listener Gold Membership plan free. And get a free audiobook. Choose from over 100,000 titles. To get this great deal, go to audibledeals.com. That's audibledeals.com. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome back. Welcome back to Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. This is Tim Link, your host, and joining me now is multi-book author Alan Anderson, and uh, he's here to talk to us about his recently released book, A Dog Named Leaf. Alan, welcome back to the show. Well, thank you for having me. I'm really glad I'm here. Yeah, it's always a pleasure talking to you. I love uh, everything that uh, you and your wife, Linda, uh, put together. And this one's a little bit of a twist, a little bit different than some of the uh, most recent books you guys have put together. So tell us a little bit about A Dog Named Leaf. Well, we uh, we adopted this uh, wonderful dog from the shelter when he was about a year old. He was abandoned. And um, after he was uh, adopted, we found out that he had a lot of issues. Of course, many shelter dogs don't have issues. They just blend right into the family, but Leaf did. And we had to make a decision to stick with him no matter what. And we did. And we were determined that he was going to become a family member through our love and our patience and our are spending time with him so he could get used to people. Apparently, he had been abused prior to being dumped at the shelter, and he had all sorts of issues with being touched and kind of like that type of dog that just was scared and really didn't like people and was always afraid of the hands and the feet. I guess it was all kind of oriented towards what might have happened prior to him being dumped at the shelter by whoever did. He was abandoned, and so we brought him home, and uh, 
we started a journey together, him and I. We started a journey of healing. That We both were going through some incredible crisis in our lives. Him from his year-old past, which really affected him deeply, and me going through uh, what would be considered life-threatening medical problems after we adopted him. So him and I became very much partners in achieving whatever we could each day in order to get through it and sort of help each other through it all. And I was really amazed through it all how special he was developing into a dog that was more of a companion, but more than that, even more of a partner, you know, like two guys together facing the battles of life and ultimately winning. Absolutely. Now, I have to ask you on that front, uh, looking back on it, and I'm sure we'll cover some of it in the book, but um, how do you view that? Do you view that going into it, you were helping him out and bringing him into your family? Or now looking back on it, does it look more like maybe he's helped you out uh, and maybe that was his purpose? Well, that's exactly right. He was definitely having a purpose. And when we adopted him, it was very unusual because he was uh, kind of the uh, a black spot that was already gone from the cage in the shelter. And somehow, some way, he came back and we were able to look at him and talk to him and bring him into a room. And even then, there was a lot of hesitancy on my part because I had just lost a, a wonderful, about well, four or five months earlier, a wonderful pet that I had for many years, uh, a yellow lab who has just adored me and everything I ever did. So it was like I was betraying her in order to adopt another dog. But we adopted him. And when he came into our lives, he was, some, some, as I said, he was a wreck. He was just never been in a house. He had, didn't know anything about bathroom training or, or anything like that. He was always growling and always nervous and always howling. And, and uh, initially, I was basically taking him out three, four times throughout the night, winter nights. He was cold and trying to get him accustomed to living in a home. And he would still howl. He couldn't sleep. He was nervous. This was week after week, day after day. So I was bringing him into my room and holding him against my chest and just holding him close to my heart so he could hear the heartbeat and he could slowly fall asleep. And finally, he started resting. And that's the way he slept for a long time on my chest while he was slowly becoming and developing trust. Well, through this whole process, I discovered that I had an unruptured brain aneurysm. I was getting dizzy and I was having dizzy spells and I went to the doctor at Linda's assistance. You probably know mm-hmm. that often spouses and people who care about you insist on things that maybe you <laughs> not, <laughs> not initially do yourself. Looking but, out for your own best interest, you know, that's all it is. It is, it is. <laughs> and, and, uh, but uh, it's funny, isn't it, how sometimes that is the only way that a guy will go to a doctor. Well, I did and I got some tests and Got a call one day at work, and he said, well, you know, Al, you have an unruptured brain aneurysm, and you're going to have to get it taken care of. Well, I was healthy up until then, and I thought, oh, you know, I had a whole future ahead. We were writing books. We were sharing stories. We were doing all the things that we really wanted to do, in addition to my regular day job. And my regular day job had a need for a lot of brain power with computer analyst-type work and trying to get software systems working for different places around the country. So it was all very much high stakes when it comes to making this brain continue to work properly and not have any problems. And, I, you know, we just adopted Leaf a few months earlier. He was still a wreck, but we were slowly getting him to become more and more a family member, even though there was a baby steps doing that. Well, I discovered this, and I uh, basically had an emotional breakdown thinking, oh, my God, a broken brain? How? What future do I have? Even with brain surgery, according to the research, there would be diminished uh, functionality. There would be all sorts of things that I would have to live with the rest of my life. And, uh, you know, after a while, I was in the hallway and when I first discovered it at work when he called, and I was it was pretty deserted, so I just had a 
a few minutes of self-pity and a reaction to it. And then I thought to myself, well, if I'm having this kind of emotional reaction, and of course I thought about Lee howling. I felt like howling to the air like he did all the time. <laughs> thought about my father and his uh, stroke and the brain damage that caused, the stroke caused, and therefore him not being able to do for himself, which I never wanted to be in that position, and now it looks like there might be a possibility. So I was in the hallway, had a few moments of self-pity, and then I thought, well, if I had this reaction, my God, what would Linda think? Mm-hmm. She'd probably just totally break apart and fall apart because I always viewed her as someone that would cry, and I would never do what to do with someone that would cry <laughs> over bad news. Like, uh, okay, uh, it's not really all that terrible, but to me it really was, so I didn't know what to say in order to reduce that kind of emotional reaction. So I did think after a few minutes, well, i got to get myself together. i got a conference call in a few minutes. i got to get myself together. i got to be there for Belinda. i got to be there for Leaf. I've got to put myself together. So I thought to myself, as silly as this sounds, I thought to myself, well, what would Spock do? <laughs> <laughs> a little mind-meld action there? Yeah, mind-meld or maybe research or maybe logical thinking of what next steps would be <laughs> and all the things that you would do without all the emotional displays. I think you've got your next book there, Alan. <laughs> what would Spock do? <laughs> oh, God. So I went back to the office and uh, sat through the conference call. And, of course, it went really well because I didn't talk very much that time. So uh, I went back to my office, did research, started doing research. And I realized the Internet is no place to go when you're trying to find good news. You type in those words and they come back with all these uh, devastating types of scenarios and stories and people that had surgery, even if it's unruptured, even the surgeries caused issues and problems and strokes and all sorts of issues that people live with for the rest of their lives. Well, I thought to myself, well, I'm going to have to tell Linda, or maybe I don't. Maybe I can convince her to go visit her parents, and then I would just have brain surgery, and then I would, she would come home and I'd tell her about it. And that would be, so I, I actually crossed my mind. I thought, well, I'm not, I really don't want to deal with this husband-wife thing where I have to help her get through the emotional, frightened aspects of being emotional over this, uh, the possibilities. But I finally came to the point where I was going to go ahead and write a document, maybe a one-pager. I thought to myself, it's going to be an overview of what it is, options, and, of course, all the best-case scenarios that uh, I found on the Internet without any of the, the negative stuff. And I would call it a fact sheet, and I would present it to her, and that would be something that we could just move into the discussion without any emotional displays by her. Well, I did. It was really beautiful. It was just a beautiful document. It had everything in there without a lot of the bad stuff. And I presented her that evening, and she looked at it, and she looked at me, and of course Leaf is sitting there, and he was trying to, he, I don't know if he was amused, but he was sitting there watching us. And she looked at me and she said, you have a brain aneurysm, you're going to have brain surgery, and you gave me a memo? <laughs> well, you're a writer after all, come on. <laughs> well, yes, I mean, and it, I thought it was a beautifully constructive fact sheet, but she really viewed it as a memo, as just something that is going to be passed off and you read it and you... So she started having her emotional reaction, and I did all the right things after that, after keeping quiet, which was probably the best thing for me to do. I held her hand, and we talked, and talked about the future and all that. So it uh, it worked out all right. Well, through this process, of course, Leaf was getting more and more next to me all the time. He was always there. He was always my companion. He was protective. It was almost like he was made a job of it to keep me going, even though he may not understand fully the extent of my medical thing that I was facing, but he saw a black cloud of some kind, some sort of emotional cloud that was mm-hmm. now enveloped the home and, and Linda and me, and, and he was going to be a team player. He started really working hard at it. It was so sweet. 
One of the things that was interesting about him is that, you know, we began going to different places and dog parks. This is like uh, weeks prior to the surgery and scheduled surgery. So I would begin, you know, really taking him out more and doing more things with him as I had been previously, but I wanted to make sure that he had a lot of activity to keep his mind off of our issues or my problems. And it was fun watching him grow and watching him become stronger and more more oriented towards people. Just one funny thing, um, we uh, we were walking down the street one day on the sidewalk and a lady came up and lurched at him and he growled. Of course, people aren't really supposed to lurch at dogs. They're supposed to be very careful with their hands and making sure that the dog sniffs and is okay with it. But she didn't know any better, so she backed off and kind of moved away quickly. I put him in my car, and we were going to go to the dog park just to get him to exercise some because I was the walk wasn't doing it. I lectured him. I said, Leif, that lady was nice to you. She wanted to pet you. She really liked you. Why did you growl? This is unacceptable. I was little, I was talking to him like he was a little child. <laughs> right. And he, and he was yawning and looking out the window, and he looked at me. You know, he's Cocker Spaniel um, kind of breed that, that we adopted. And so he had that look about him that he was just, you know, just not going to listen. And I said, what I want you to do, and this is really important, what I want you to do today is I want you to be nice to somebody. Just out of your own will, you do something that's nice for somebody. I, this is what I want. And I, of course, laid it on thick. And he still looked like he was bored not listening. But we did go to the dog park. And I let him out, and we went into this park. It was a smaller park, this one we went to. And, you know, I noticed down across the park there was this older man sitting on a bench throwing a big yellow tennis ball for his, a kind of white, fluffy dog to chase. But the dog really didn't want to chase it, even though he would try. And it was, the ball was so big. And he was older and tired, and he didn't want to have to walk all the way back. He tried to one time and brought the ball back and then threw it again. And this time he wasn't going to uh, go after it because it was just way too much work. Leaf was watching this. And this is after the lecture. Leaf was watching this and ran over down to find the tennis ball, grabbed it in his mouth, walked it back to the man, dropped it at his feet, and he looked at me as if saying, see, I could be nice. <laughs> Excellent. So that goes my theory. You know, we've talked about this before. I always say talk to your animals. They understand you and see what you want them to do. Visualize it and they do it. And there's a... That's great confirmation that, that Leaf understood exactly what you're talking about. It was. And, you know, to put icing on the cake, the older man looked at me and in his gruff voice says, your dog is nice. <laughs> it's like reinforcing that whole concept that he was a nice dog. He just uh, didn't like being merged at. But it was so perfect, the lecture and then seeing that happen. Absolutely. As Leaf coyly uh, sticks his tongue out at you, I can see. <laughs> <laughs> he did too, did he? I, was, I remember that now where he, his tongue was actually hanging out. I thought he was just a little warm. <laughs> there you go. Now you know it. All right, super. We're going to take a quick little commercial break here, and we'll come back with uh, Alan Anderson, talk a little bit more about a dog named Leaf, and I want to talk to him about his uh, writing styles and some of the things he does there as well. So everybody stay tuned. Uh, we'll come right back. You're listening to Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. Sit. Stay. We'll be right back after a short pause. Well, four to be exact. Every pet is unique. Maybe they're gray in the muzzle, yet young at heart. Maybe they're growing out of the puppy stage and into their paws and ears. Or maybe they're just trying to maintain a more girlish figure. At PetSmart... We have the right food for your pet at a great value for you. Pet Smart. Be better together. 
Go to PetSmartDeal.com and save up to 30% on awesome gifts for the pets and pet people in your life. Toys, collars, leashes, PetSmart gift cards, treats, and more. Go to PetSmartDeal.com today. P-E-T-S-M-A-R-T-D-E-A-L.com. Dyson. The new Dyson Animal Backs are powerful bagless upright backings for homes with pets. Air muscle and radio root cyclone technology generates the strongest suction power to powerfully remove dust, dirt, and pet hair from the home or car. To order your Dyson Animal Vac, go to DysonDeals.com. DysonDeals.com to order your Dyson Animal Vac today. Dyson. Music to your ears. Welcome to Sassy Seniors, a show about our fabulous older dogs and cats. I'm your host, Kelly Jackson. You know, I wanted to create a show to really showcase our senior pets. And you know, as the human population ages and lives longer, of course, so are our wonderful pets. But many of us with aging pets, it's so interesting. We have a tough time realizing or really admitting that they are seniors. So in a way, I kind of like to think of our senior pets as, as wise puppies. What do you think about that? Be sure to join us for another dish of Sassy Seniors. And remember, celebrate your senior pets. Every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets. On PetLife Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome back. Welcome back to Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. It's your host, Tim Link, and I'm here with uh, multi-book author Alan Anderson, Talk to him about his recently released book, A Dog Named Leaf, The Hero from Heaven Who Saved My Life. Now, Alan, I want to say, obviously, you've, you and Linda have written some fantastic books over the years and a lot of healing books. Wouldn't you say this is a little bit of a slight departure from some of the things you've uh, written in the past? It certainly is. You know, many of our books in the past have been anthologies. We've, we've collected amazing stories from incredible people around the country and the world, and we would present them in a book uh, like Angel Dogs or Angel Cats or dogs with a mission or horses with a mission and we would and our publisher would uh, we go through the whole process and it would be published and a lot of the some of the stories in the books would be our personal stories but not a lot maybe one or two on occasion so the anthologies were out there and we were sharing them and it's amazing the the results of that people would read these stories to their kids they read one at a time at night to have something uplifting to read it just brought a whole element to a person's life that maybe they would not have if they weren't, uh, you know, enjoying incredible stories about animals and how they affect people in such amazing, beautiful ways. So this book is different. And I have to tell you, and probably you know this, and probably some of your guests that you've had in the past know this, the moment you write about yourself, a lot of things change. A whole book about personal stuff, about me and Luke. Yeah, and how are you experiencing that change? Do you think it's a change with, from within or responses from your fans? What Expand on that a little bit. Well, as a private person, so to speak, and, and very feeling very safe about sharing other people's stories and really promoting and getting it out there, and then all of a sudden, this private person, people are asking questions after reading certain sections of the book about what I've been through with the brain surgery and with other aspects of that. Also, the emotional displays. Usually men aren't so ready to share the fact that they had an emotional reaction to news. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they're brave and strong and capable. It's like you almost have to... And Lisa and I decided that about two or three years ago, I decided, well, I was going to begin writing this book. And then Leaf got very sick and I got very depressed. It was way too close to the actual event. So we decided... As a team, him and I, that we were not going to face this project yet. 
And uh, our publisher that wanted to publish it uh, went ahead and agreed. That was fine with them. And we just weren't ready. It was too painful, too close. And, of course, him, he didn't want to have to go through all the stuff where the world knows how what bad a dog he was initially <laughs> in order to have. You know, <laughs> I know this sounds silly, but in a way it's not because, you know, he, in my mind, he has uh, as many uh, feelings and emotions and ideas and strategies as most people do. So it's not and- exactly... Completely, absolutely, absolutely, and sometimes yeah. you want to air the dirty laundry uh, when uh, <laughs> when it's the right and appropriate time. Exactly. <laughs> so, about a year, year and a half ago, we started the project again, and he didn't become sick, and I didn't become depressed, and we were working, working, working to uh, to achieve it. But in the process of uh, writing it, in order for there to be in, make it an interesting story, I had to put in a lot of things that actually happened. And also toned down some things that uh, happened but were were not necessarily a part of the storyline that allowed people to actually turn the page and be interested in what happened next. And uh, we did it. We were, And, you know, we sort of looked at each other, and I remember saying, and I know how this is such a cliche, I said, you know, Lee, we're going to have to man up and do this. We want to share this story. We want to get it out there. We want people to know how special that human-canine relationship can be, almost at a spiritual partnership level. It doesn't have to just be a friend or a dog in your house that loves you. You can go much, much further, and your experiences in life can be much, much more, oh, how do you say it, less severe because you have someone at your side helping you through it. Yeah, Alan, I, I was going to say, and I was going to commend you on that because it's great to write a story about interesting animals in your life, and, and people enjoy that and, and get to know you and get to know the animal. But when you start talking about the spiritual side of it, I do believe that you know, obviously, animals become part of our lives; they become part of our families, and they do tend to lead us on these uh, spiritual paths or purposes that we have. Wouldn't you agree? I totally agree. As a matter of fact, I think more often than not, when an individual has a relationship with a pet or an animal or even going through nature and having that moment in a nature setting with an animal, it is very much spiritual in nature. It is far, far deeper than sometimes we want to uh, get credit for, whether it be uh, a moment where you have an understanding that life is more than just uh, just the daily grind that we all go through. It is much, much more. And having the, that connection with an animal on that level gives you that insight that maybe you wouldn't have otherwise. Yeah, absolutely. And in the book, which I did not know this, so I learned even more about you every time I talk to you but uh, and read your material or read your books, but you were a, a police officer yes, in yes. the past. So I have yes. to ask you, how do you go from being a police officer to writing and publishing and speaking on uh, animals and spiritual content? How did that all come about? <laughs> well... Actually, my degree is in journalism, and I had planned on going into a journalistic career, but mostly I was looking at TV, and I had weather background, so I was looking at doing television work and all that. And after I got my degree, I had a um, a motorcycle accident, which uh, you know was you know was really surface in nature, but it looked made me look like uh, Frankenstein for a while. Mm. <laughs> which, which, but I would say, well, how can I take advantage of this look? I want more writing material. Maybe I should try police work where people actually will pay attention to what I have to say because I have look this way, and then I can gather material. So I I went ahead and did uh, went to uh, did police work in uh, Atlanta for eight years. I thought it'd be a year or two as I was healing and getting more writing material, but I really kind of liked the work. I liked helping people. So I went into uh, police work, and I we worked really bad areas, and I was always, always working. You know, I got burned out on occasion, but I was doing what I thought was good to help 
those who needed something reasonable to come into their lives during times of crisis and during really bad times. Of course, lots of arrests, lots of stats for me, but there was one incident, and I remember going to this domestic, and there was this little boy on a couch with a little kind of mixed breed brown dog, not too big of a dog, but, you know, medium-sized, and the dog was licking the child's tears off his cheeks as the man and woman in the apartment were yelling and screaming and being violent towards one another. So I came to this domestic, and of course I separated the two people, but I glanced over and I took a sort of a mental snapshot of that, because I always wanted and will always want to write about that relationship between people and animals, but I saw in that moment how incredibly important that was to that little boy that might affect his entire life because he had the protection and the love of that uh, dog during a time when they were going through all that stuff in that particular apartment. So I did all the appropriate work as police work, but I remember, and you know, it all turned out all right, but I, I remember going home that night and I sat down on the, on the uh, carpet in the living room. It was late at night and the, my kids and Linda were already asleep. And our dog, a golden at the time called Prana, she came over and sat next to me and sort of melted into my side, which relieved all the stress of the evening's work, all the pain, all the visuals that I had in my head of everything that I had seen and done. And she just took it all away just by being that loving, unconditional creature that she was very much on a spiritual level. It wasn't just a, an emotional thing, but it was very much a total, complete I'm here for you no matter what. Just let your worries just dissolve away. And it was just a beautiful moment. So those two things helped me understand that my destiny and my work that I want to do is to write about that relationship. I want people to know through story how important that is for each of them if they want to live the most fullest life that they could possibly live. Without that animal companion, without that moment in nature, without any of that, their lives are just basically less than what it could have been if they allowed that to be part of their lives. Yeah, huge. That's great. That's just, uh, and, and you do a great job with it with the book as well as all the other writings you do. It's, uh, isn't it amazing how those uh, moments in time, and especially when it involves an animal, when they come about, how it just shifts our life totally? Oh, yes, absolutely. That's amazing. Now, Alan, I noticed on the uh, you've got a new uh, publishing house for the book, and I'm assuming you got new representation. Can you tell me a little bit about that process, just from a writing aspect of uh, how did that come about? You don't have to go into all the details, but how's that process been different from maybe uh, working with the same publishing house for for quite some time? Oh, it is completely different. I mean, when you move to a different publisher, and they're all they're wonderful people. Everyone has just been very helpful. It's just different different in every way because you're used to uh, working with a particular publicist or working with an editor and how they do things. The editor at the other publishing house would have added about at least 20% more to the book when it came to texture and adding elements to the writing. I had a whole bunch. I turned in a book based on what she recommended with the texture and with a lot of other uh, elements to the story. And then when I turned it into our new publisher, the editor said, let's tell the story. <laughs> <laughs> Which could have saved you a lot of time and if you would have known that ahead. <laughs> but it added to the book because there was some of it that was left in there. But it was definitely uh, cutting it down, cutting it down, and moving things around. It was two different viewpoints, complete different viewpoints on the editorial side and two different ways and methods of achieving uh, marketing on the publicist side. So there's a whole range 
of things that I had to get used to and also in developing relationships that could be uh, drawn upon with the people that worked at the new publisher took time and effort. And uh, the one thing we did with the original publisher, which I recommend to any writer, is to you know kind of make it so you can swing a trip to the publishing house and meet them in person and then spend time with the editor and with the marketing director and with the, whoever else is there. And uh, we never got a chance to do that with the new publisher, but we hope to do that one day just to go say hi and see how who they are. We've been back and forth with a lot with email and regular mail and cards, but not necessarily that person-to-person. So yeah, that would really be helpful. I think it, that's a very good point. And I was going to ask you, in the past when you've done that, at what stage did you do that? Did you go visit each and every time or did you establish that relationship up front and it's stuck through all the years? It's funny you mention it because I was just thinking of that today, how impactful it is just to go by and uh, uh, as – Excuse my French, but as my dad would say, give him the old shit howdy. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, that really builds that relationship because they can put that face to it. So what face would you expect a a writer or or suggest to a writer to go visit their their editors and publicists and people you're going to be working with? The moment the contract is signed, I would go and initially have a uh, talk. And, uh, and just show them who you are and, and all the, um, all the things that you plan on doing because that's what, you know, publishers want. They want the author to do a lot of work. And if they see that, then they're going to put their efforts into it, I think. You know, it depends on who you're working with, but often they do. And, um, yeah, at the very beginning. And don't do it every book because there's no need because they already know you. Unless there might be a possibility that maybe they're going to be going to the BEA or some other, some other convention that you might be attending, so you get to see them there and schedule lunches or whatever. Yeah, and I think through this industry, though, it's important as you build that relationship with a particular publishing house. Some of them tend to stick for quite some time. You'll work with the same group for quite some time over multiple books, but uh, the industry, as you know, shifts quite frequently, so you may have to go back and visit multiple times. Uh, oh, that's per- right, yes, yes. That's interesting. So, uh, and how touching upon the marketing aspect of it, I know you and Linda are master marketers <laughs> through need or necessity or just through uh, been doing it through all these years. How has that helped or how has that hindered working with a, a different publishing house and a different publicity group? Well, it's helped quite a bit because we knew what to expect and what was needed. So we were double-checking different things that might have fallen through the cracks otherwise. So it did help quite a bit. And, of course, it always helps because you know from previous uh, campaigns, uh, people, contacts, emails, phone numbers. So all that in a chart going to the publicist at your new publishing house would be beneficial because they would have the information that you have. And coming from the publisher, no matter how we would like to think differently, a press release or any kind of uh, book or anything coming directly from the publisher has, a little, in my mind, a little bit more of a punch to it than coming from the author. So that helps a little bit. And, yeah, it did help quite a bit to have that experience because there were several, several things that we needed to make sure were completed that uh, maybe would have fallen through the cracks because the people at the new place weren't accustomed to um, working with us and how we normally did things. Yeah, absolutely. You know, some of the things that you and Linda have done over the years, it's not just your traditional uh, show up to the local bookstore gift shop type of thing. I mean, you're speaking and lecturing and talking to all kinds of different groups and organizations, uh, and I would assume you would have fed off of that. Yes, absolutely, and we're we're still working on that. It's a brand new book. It's just out early November, and uh, we're still doing our thing, trying to uh, make sure that uh, people will get a chance to read it and see if they like it or not. I think they'll love it. It's 
we've gotten a lot of good feedback from people who have read the book and uh, found it something they couldn't put down. I've, I'm kind of surprised, actually. I mean, when I read it, I find it fascinating, but I'm kind of prejudiced, I guess. <laughs> well, I always find it interesting as an author and, and writer that uh, you know you go into it with an idea of how you're going to write it and put it all together, and then after it's done and dusted and on the bookshelves, go back and read it again because I think you do get some epiphanies and some things that you didn't realize even you put in the book if you're anything like me. Well, that's great. We did a great job with it. Big kudos. Congratulations on all the early success. We'll look forward to seeing more and more about it uh, as we move forward. And I do have to mention one thing before we get you off the line. I want to talk a little bit about your and uh, Linda's uh, efforts as founders of the uh, Angel Animals Network. Explain a little bit more about the Angel Animals Network and what you guys are doing there. Well, the Angel Animals Network is the sole purpose is to make sure that we have the capacity to share stories that people would like to be shared in newsletters, in uh, columns, in books, in whatever method we can share them because we want to uplift and have people look at animals in a more loving and uh, spiritual way and not necessarily just uh, as uh, property. And uh, it's been ongoing and uh, the stories, you know, people pay attention to a story. They'll read a story and maybe their viewpoint will look be changed because of stories. Statistics and all the things, they have their place, but not necessarily what we do. So angelanimals.net is where we have our website and um, basically uh, talks about where we're going to do lectures or speeches and where we're going to do book events and where we're going to be, our, our newsletter subscription uh, procedures and um, what columns are out there and what articles that people might want to read when it comes to this, this topic. Yeah, and it's a great site. I encourage everybody to take a look at angelanimals.net. It has virtually everything in there. And if you're going through a situation, a crisis, a, a spiritual awakening, something to do with your animal, there's usually stories on there where you won't feel alone or you won't feel like you're uh, the only one out there. So it's a great place to go, but, yeah, participate in, and uh, you know, share your stories as well. So uh, angelanimals.net, everybody take a look at that. Well, Alan, where can everybody uh, learn a little bit more about Leaf and you, and uh, where can they purchase the book, A Dog Named Leaf? Well, adognamedleaf.com is the website, and of course, we're on Facebook, Twitter, we have uh, uh, LinkedIn, all the other social sites, and if uh, it's at all the uh, chain and independent bookstores and all, all the online bookstores, so people, and it's in Kindle and uh, Nook format now, so anyone who would like to uh, purchase it in whatever method or way they read books, they certainly have access. So everybody, pick up a copy of A Dog Named Leaf. Go to dognamedleaf.com. Uh, like them on Facebook. Follow them. And, uh, yeah, it's always exciting. So, Alan, big kudos. Congratulations on the, uh, on the book. It's a great read. And I uh, always enjoy talking to you and uh, find out what's going on. And let Linda know I said hey as well. Oh, I sure will. She'll like that. Well, we're uh, coming to the end of the show today. Uh, I'd like to thank everyone for listening to Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. I'd uh, also like to thank our sponsors and producers for making the show possible. To find out more about me, Tim Link, and the other guests I've interviewed on the Animal Rights Show and to read my blogs, please visit PetLifeRadio.com. Click on the Animal Rights icon, and you can download this episode as well as all the rest of them. Uh, listen to your favorite authors and find out what's going on. And, and while you're there, make sure you uh, check out all the other wonderful shows that we have and all the wonderful hosts on Pet Life Radio. It's PetLifeRadio.com. If you have any questions for me or any comments or ideas for the show, please email me. You can email me at Tim at PetLifeRadio.com. It's Tim at PetLifeRadio.com, and I'll be glad to answer your questions, entertain your comments, and uh, bring on the people you want to hear most onto the show. So until next time, write a great story about the animals in your life. Share it in a blog, article, or in a book. And who knows? You may be the next guest on Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. Have a great day. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand. 
only on PetLifeRadio.com.